I love, especially like right now, we have a relatively small group, which is something that doesn't happen all that often. So I'm excited because we can go narrow and specific. I'm going to lay out some topics about what I'm seeing. Terry mentioned that this was an encore from B2B SMX. However, I believe this is like almost a completely new presentation. The amount of data that we're collecting and how fast this is progressing. There are a lot of new concepts here that people at B2B SMX didn't actually get. So Um, There'll be some good data and other things in here that I'm looking forward to sharing as I continue to watch what buyers are doing and what buyers are telling us about where they're discovering and researching and how they want to buy and how much different that is than what attribution software is measuring and what actual companies are executing against. And so I'd like to get started with a little bit of a story. And so I in 2017, worked for a venture funding company called Vapotherm. When I joined there, about 30 million ARR, and I was working on demand gen programs. And so I built that out from the ground up with them, doing a lot of the traditional things at the beginning of trying to collect leads, pushing them through marketing automation, doing lead scoring, running those test ERs, running lead gen in a bunch of different channels, and measured the results against that against pipeline and revenue and was like, I'm not going to be able to go back and make a case to executives about why we should continue to scale this program because the data tells me that it's not working. And so from there, I completely removed all the constraints that most marketers operate under. The constraints that I see right now all are based around measurement. And so it starts with measurement being, hey, we need to have channel attribution to deem this successful. We need to be able to, we have top of funnel metrics that we need to entertain, et cetera, which boxes marketers in to never explore the things that I've explored and the things that I've learned a lot over the past five years, because executives would look at this after 60 days and say, this program is a failure. We don't see any leads. Where's the attribution? All the things that people normally say when you think about doing things that I'm going to be talking about later in this presentation. And so we started doing marketing in that way in 2017, 18, the things that were working best for us were ungated content using Facebook ads, Facebook organic was crushing. We had a 20,000 person follower of RICP that was built through paid and organic put together. We had a video podcast that we hosted with physicians talking about clinical data and how they use the product that we published about 35 episodes while I was there. And we had the video was mainly distributed through email and YouTube. So that's kind of like the mix. And that was what was working the best for us. And the reason that we knew that it was working the best and the reason that I knew that it was working the best is because customers told us our sales team, when they went into meetings and then their prospect that came inbound said, I keep seeing your content on Facebook. It's so good. When you went to the conferences, people walked up to you and said, Hey, Chris, I recognize you. You're the host of the Vapotherm podcast. When we send the email out of a video podcast and one of the people reply back because the reply email was not no reply at Vapotherm.com. It was Chris.Walker at Vapotherm.com. So all the replies came back to me. And people would say, this video was so helpful, illustrated a concept that I've never understood before, would love to have your clinical manager come by and talk to us about how we could think about using this in our hospital. And so all the things that, all the signals, the qualitative stuff was telling us that these are the things that are working the best. And then when you look at attribution software, it tells us that SEO is what's driving all this impact. And that's something that I call at the moment, the attribution mirage is that the way that customers are actually discovering people, and I'll present some data later in the conversation, The way that buyers are actually discovering you and where they're researching and how they're getting into buying cycles is completely different than what attribution software is telling you. 
and typically drives B2B companies to make the wrong decisions. I just had a conversation 15 minutes ago with a 600-person SaaS company that said this, the CMO said the same thing. Attribution at the moment is telling us that paid search and organic search are our best performing channels. And so we've stopped doing social, we've stopped doing that type of stuff, and we're continue to invest more in paid search. And that's where all of B2B companies end up because they follow software-based attribution like it's perfect and accurate. And the reality of it is that it's entirely flawed and there are plenty of other ways to measure attribution than just using software. You could ask customers, you could run win-loss win analysis, you could do surveys, you could do what we do, which is put, how did you hear about us on your main form so your customer can tell you. And so there are plenty of ways to alternatively measure marketing, which is basically the way that we've built the company and how we help companies change. And so it's all rooted in measurement. Once you change how you measure marketing, what you optimize for, and how you think about attribution, it opens up an incredible amount of opportunities of what B2B companies could do that nobody does right now. Because when you remove that constraint, you get out of direct response, lead gen, let's push people through marketing automation as collect as many leads as possible for as cheap as we can. And you get more into, if I just help Paul over time, understand more about what we do, how we measure things, why B2B marketing needs to change, where our category is going, that eventually Paul would be much more likely to buy. And then when you do that at scale across your whole TAM, you move way more people into buying cycles that come in and convert when you are the preferred brand or viewed as the category leader and your win rates go through the roof. And so let's get back to it. I'm gonna cover right now the attribution mirage and then I'm gonna go back into how B2B buyers are changing. So here's what we did. The first thing that we did was we looked at, we put a, how did you hear about us on both our Refine Labs form and for several different software companies. And here's an example of that implementation for SaaS companies. We use enrichment software so that you, the idea of, oh, our conversion rates are going to go down. If we add this field, go away. So we actually reduce the amount of fields by using enrichment. And then we put this in here and then we have what all of our customers who spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars on technology to measure stuff, we have what that's the software measures and we have what our customer told us. When you say, how did you hear about us? What you're gonna get from the customer is what they believe was the most impactful channel. And so we're gonna go through. Here are some of the examples of what we see. I pulled these out as qualitative, but we had 125, 30 total responses on our form that created 57 qualified opportunities. And so when you look at this, None of this stuff, I literally have it written up, a majority of these insights would never be captured by software-based attribution where somebody comes in and says, I heard about you from Dave Gerhardt, then I started following Chris Walker, now I'm on your website converting, and attribution software says, direct traffic. Or somebody says, I heard about you from Kyle Lacey in Revenue Collective, and attribution software says organic search. And that's literally what's happening at companies and it's driving because they don't measure what I'm showing you right now. They just make decisions based on what the software tells them. This is the attribution mirage, which is what customers are telling us is the most important things is so much different than what attribution software is telling us and what they're measuring. Here are some of the key takeaways. One is that attribution software reports that 72% of our high intent website conversions were sourced via organic search and direct traffic. If any B2B company does this analysis, you'll find that you get this data as well. Somewhere between 60 and 90% will be sourced this way. The reason is not because these channels drove the impact, get to that data in a second. It's just because this is what buyers do when they're ready to buy. When you are interested in buying something and you've already talked to your coworkers, 
and you probably checked the reference and you're like, we have budget, let's go do this. What do you do? You go to Google, you search the company that you want to buy and you go to their form and ask for a demo. It's like a very common flow for how people buy. And if you looked at that against revenue for your company, you'd notice that a majority of the marketing revenue comes through that way too. So attribution software is reporting that 72% of people are finding us via organic search or direct traffic. However, when you actually ask each of those individual people how they discovered us, 82% of people say they found us via social media, podcast, community like Revenue Collective or Peak or word of mouth. And so if you didn't have that insight, if your customer, if our customers weren't over here saying, these are the places that we're discovering you, this is what's working, here are the people that are driving word of mouth, how much different would you be operating in marketing? Most people are flying blind on this one. They just have the top bar that I mentioned, 72% is coming from organic search and direct traffic. We don't really like organic search. Let's do more SEO, direct traffic. We don't know because it's nonlinear attribution. Let's just I guess do sing, go back to LinkedIn ads and keep running lead gen. Yeah, so this is going to show you the differences in what the software actually measures versus what customers tell us aggregated. I manually looked through every submission and if the person said, I found you on the State of Demand Gen podcast, I categorized that as podcast. Somebody said, I heard about you from this person. It was categorized as word of mouth. And so this is man, no software was doing this. I did this manually, but you see the comparison based on what attribution software measures versus what a customer tells us. What you have here is that organic and direct traffic are enormously overreported by attribution software. Like I mentioned, it's because that's the path that people pass through to buy. And a lot of the other places, B2B people are researching and discovering your products are in places that companies can't track. Dark social, we're gonna cover that in a minute. So organic and direct gets overreported, and then everything else that makes huge impacts, what I consider dark social channels, all get underreported or completely missed. So we have social media being underreported by more than 70%. It's our number one revenue and, and customer acquisition channel by far. We have a podcast that doesn't get measured at all. We have word of mouth that doesn't get measured at all. And we have community that doesn't get measured at all by attribution software. And so all four of our main revenue sources are not getting measured appropriately and they drive all the impact. And our company is growing like super fast. And so what we have is that we have companies that follow attribution software thinking that they're being data driven. And what actually happens is they're being led astray. They actually are make, I think that people make the wrong decisions with this data in a vacuum than if they literally just listened to their customers and made decisions. To illustrate this trend even further, what we just saw was website conversions. When you move that down into qualified opportunities, it gets even more dramatic. Only 7% of the time does what attribution software say match what the customer says. It's wild stuff. And so if you didn't have all of this data, then what would your strategy look like? And this is why, as we get into dark social, this is why companies don't execute here. They don't execute properly on social media, organic. They only run paid social media in order to collect leads so that they can measure it, which doesn't drive revenue. It drives leads that don't close. Podcast, they don't do those. Word of mouth, they think they, oh, we have no control over word of mouth. Let's not focus on it. They don't spend any time building or spending time in communities. So you have all of these places that are driving massive amounts of revenue for our company. And the only reason that B2B companies won't follow is because attribution software tells them not to. So let's zoom out a little bit. B2B buyers are changing rapidly. This has been happening. I saw this effect since 2017 when I went out and did a ton of qualitative market research. I heard what our customers told us, which said 
I want to do a bunch of research on my own. I don't want to talk to your sales rep until I talk to a peer that already uses your product that I want to validate uh, in these medical journals before I get a demo. I'm hearing all of these things about what buyers want to do. And then I took that and I did a large scale market research survey with 600 of our target accounts, the decision maker in there. And they told us these types of things about how they want to buy and where they're researching and where they're discovering. And over time, I've just been able to package more and more information around it to help people understand what buyers are doing differently is that they have access to information and their peers in ways that didn't exist when a lot of these marketing models started. When the lead gen marketing automation thing started in 2011, you weren't using LinkedIn to connect with other CMOs. You weren't in peak community being able to do that. And so what you did in that time is that you went to three core sources. You went to analyst firms, you went to conferences and trade publications. And if you couldn't find anything there, you went to search and you looked for it. That was in 2011. Now what's happening is that because you can access all the CMOs that you trust way more than any of those sources, you don't go into any of those places. And where you go is you go into social, a community, or direct word of mouth, and you ask peers that you trust. When you're going to make a software decision, a strategy change, looking for a vendor, et cetera, that's where you go. I know that there are other places of source of information, but there's plenty of data out there that says that we're, that trusting your peers is the number one source. And so that's what's happening. When we look at dark social, dark social is basically the definition is the scale of the internet has created tons of word of mouth channels, like social networks, like LinkedIn, Instagram, et cetera, content platforms like Spotify, Apple, YouTube, et cetera, groups and communities like Peak or a Facebook group or a LinkedIn group or other things like that, direct word of mouth like this Zoom call or a DM or a text message or a Slack message, internal company comms that doesn't get tracked. So all of these places that I believe are where B2B buyers actually discover and actually research and actually make decisions about what they're going to buy, none of it gets tracked by attribution software. And so companies, what they do is instead of doing any of these things, which we all know logically, right? We all, the things that I'm doing is creating data to help people believe the things that prove the things that they already believe. These things are already true. So we have all of these places and what companies do instead, because they can't measure those places is they sit at the bottom of the funnel, like they're a commodity and they wait for people to search for them. And then they fight over buyers that are looking at five vendors and don't care who does it, who's the vendor as opposed to going out there, creating demand, being a category leader, educating people, showing them why they need to prioritize your solution in their business now and what the risks and what the implications are if they don't, so that as they learn those things, they move through a buying cycle, they show them the way, they consider you first, you're the leader in the RFP or in the process, or maybe what happens a lot to us is they companies don't even consider another vendor because they don't think there's a com- even a comparison. And so... To be honest, I feel like I've kind of said the things that I want to say. I would love, we have a small audience here. We can go back and forth. I would love to get into some questions. I think that there's like some really good ideas and sparks that might bring up some questions. So if you have something that you're working on in your business or something that you want to dig deeper into, would love to do that. So we've got one from Paul. We're going to bring Paul on. I've seen you, Chris. Thanks for the session. That was awesome. Chris, how do you, how would you measure the relationship side? The dark, as you talk about always, dark funnel and, mm-hmm. and intent and the signals. Uh, how do you go about measuring that? Because everyone does struggle to measure that. 
Yeah, totally. So first, I want to help people understand the differences here between tracking and intent is the channels that I'm talking about. You're not going to get intent data out of that either. There's no intent data coming out of LinkedIn or Instagram or Apple Podcasts or Peak Community, etc. And so like I call it dark social for a reason that it's truly dark. And so if companies want to operate here where there's huge business opportunities, major companies are going through major growth that are working here. If they want to operate there, they need to change how they measure marketing. I've illustrated one thing right there in the slides that I think is super obvious and super easy to implement. And still our customers won't do it. And still the market doesn't do it. This is just asking and you get the real data there. People tell you word of mouth. They tell you from this podcast, from I saw you on Facebook. We had a submission. Companies were coming back to us. Or one specific company is, hey, we're not sure if Facebook ads are working. Then we showed them three submissions from VP level people at Amex and Geico, et cetera, that said, I found you on Instagram. And they don't have an Instagram organic presence. It was the ads. And so the how did you hear about us helps you show what's actually happening from what how people are buying. So it gives you that insight to defend the things that you're doing that are difficult to measure by software. Additionally, it gives you major strategy insights about where to go next. And so what companies do instead is they don't put this field in the form. They get everything that comes through for revenue, says organic or direct search, and then they just guess. And so I think a lot of companies like to talk about how they're customer focused and like to pretend that they are. But from a marketing standpoint, I don't see marketing teams spend enough time with customers, respect enough how people want to buy, understand them deeply enough where they can provide content that's valuable to them. And those are the unsexy things that help you win in marketing. It's not about the technology. It's not about how much data that you have. It's about, do you understand your customers? Can you communicate effectively with them in a way that they like? Great question. We had one yeah, that was from great. Scott early, earlier on. Scott, if you want to unmute, you can go ahead and ask your question. Yeah, hey, Chris. Big fan, as you know. What's up, Scott? Great to see you again. <laughs> you too. Hey, uh, I was just wondering, I, I know I've listened to a lot of the Dark Final, Dark Trolls, so you've talked about stuff, but there are tools out there like Sixth Sense and other ones and stuff. So what do you see is working? There must be something working out of it. Totally. So again, I want to help separate because this is a very advanced concept and differently the places that you're going to get intent data out of are review sites, searches and website and blogs that are invested in selling that data to somebody else. And the things that I'm talking about are social platforms, content platforms and other communities, things like that, that have no interest in selling that data. And it would violate so many privacy policies in order to do that. So they don't. And so there's basically two things here. What I'm saying is that there's no intent in the places that I'm talking about. People are out there researching, they're discovering, they're trying to learn new things, they're consuming content, they're understanding what their peers are prioritizing. And then they, once they've decided those things, hey, I'm gonna invest in this technology and I'm gonna get this consultant and I'm going to do this type of thing, then they move into intent channels where intent data gets created, where they go into Google and other places that have more direct attribution and then companies fight over them there. And so, and I believe that most of the decision happens before they get there. And so companies can continue to spend their time waiting for people down here that are like, I need an ABM vendor. And then they get down there and they have to choose between the four. But if I was six cents or terminus or otherwise, I'd be trying to win way before they ever get to intent data. I'd want them to choose me way before they decide they need ABM. I want to be the reason that they decide to invest in that technology because I educated them all the way through about why their existing process isn't serving them. So it's an easy example. And so it's split. I believe that there's a layer for marketing that sits there and is trying to convert people that have demand in search, in review sites, in lead aggregators, in places like that. 
I believe that there's a place for SDRs to take intent data and do teleprospecting to accounts that are good fits. Companies do both of those things right now. What I'm saying is there's this whole other opportunity that you don't do. And so it's not about taking something away and putting this in instead. It's about there's this whole opportunity up here to do different marketing and social, to create content in places where people pay attention, to be in the communities that they're in, that get them to the intent stage. Um, And right now, companies run display ads and collect leads that don't want to buy and things like that as a proxy to doing what I'm talking about. It's not an either or, it's an and. It's you have this whole thing running with six cents, but wait, there's this whole other level of marketing that you need to think about that starts higher in the funnel pre-intent. Perfect. Thank you, Chris. Right. We've got one coming in from Cody. Cody, if you'd like to go ahead with your question. Sure. Um, I'm just thinking about the, the dark funnel. Eventually, sales needs to see the light and it needs to come into the sales process. Do you you know, champion any particular offers or conversions of when you hand this over to sales? Or are there any KPIs that's like, okay, maybe I'm not being challenged and I'm not turning off my review and social media and a lot of these activities, but at some point I've got to measure the start of that entering the funnel. Yeah. So there's two things that I've learned here and I've done Salesforce analysis is on close to 50 B2B SaaS companies now. And the data based on the marketing models is pretty consistent overall. And so what marketing teams do is because they need to go back to management and say, here's something that we can move tomorrow if we add more money or if we add more resources. So it's like website traffic or MQLs or MQAs or like pipeline with a terrible definition. And then they go and try and move that metric and they just create a vanity metric that everything else doesn't translate to pipeline or revenue. And so I help people look and basically help them remodel their goals which is here's what's driven revenue in the past. Here's the path that people take when they actually buy. Let's work back up the funnel. If we exclude all of the bad leads that we're generating that close at 0.1% and we only look at the ones that are high intent firmographic fits that went at 10%, we need way less leads in order to hit our revenue targets. Way less. We took a company from 2019 to 2020 fiscal their leads went down by 96% after they started working with us. They generated 36,000 the year before, and they generated about 1,500 the year that they worked with us. Their pipeline went up by more than 200%, and their revenue went up by more than 200%. Because it's not about how many leads you can get, it's about optimizing for revenue and then working back up in the funnel. So there's some like help for some. But when, and when you think about how do you measure these things is again, like, If you had the how did you hear about us, it's going to give you the ammo that you need because you can look at all the deals that close, which is what we're doing right now. So only like I just showed you website conversions and qualified ops, and we don't have enough data that I feel comfortable in a sample size that's large enough to present right now. But early stage, there's zero matches between what people tell us they discover and attribution software. And so if you look at the what you're getting from the revenue side of what customers tell you, you get all the things that I'm talking about. And you wouldn't have to change your marketing mix at all to get that. I think that if companies turn this on, they would get the same type of suit. You know, 25% community, 15, 25% word of mouth, 25% social media, 25% otherwise that includes SEO and, and others. And so it's collecting the data up front so that you can tell the story. When I was telling the story, it wasn't with business data. It was with what customers told us in a large scale. So you can go with both ways. Like the way that I presented it back then is I didn't have this data and I didn't really know how to look for it five years ago. 
And so instead I went out and surveyed buyers and said, and presented as the executive team, look, like our first action in marketing is trying to get someone into a demo. And what our customers are telling us is that they want to take these four steps before that. We're not having them take four steps, which is why we only win 2% of demos right now. Those are some of the ways to connect the data, but I've always found that rooting it in what customers are telling you is the most effective. Hey, Chris. Dude, awesome to have you up here. Um, Good to see you again. Yeah, and thanks for doing this. Just twofold question. One is, what's the largest company that you work with? And the reason I'm asking that is, I'm trying to figure it out and I'm reading the room over here and I know a lot of people in the B community and some of the people here, like, you know, if you have a 50 million, a hundred million dollar business, like you start getting all these VCs and all the other like spreadsheet driven business models, right? Like that is like, we need these many leads, we need this. Mm-hmm. And I run into that every day. And I'm, I'm wondering how exponentially hard it gets to explain this. And how do you how do you see or if you have used different strategies to get mm-hmm. smaller companies to get on it versus mid-size versus enterprise? The largest company that we work with is valued at over 50 billion. So we have some very large companies that we work with, some that are over a billion dollars in revenue, but large valuations if you look at like software companies. And then we also work with companies that are probably between 50 and 200 million at that kind of scale-up phase. And then we have early stage companies as well. And so, the, and it's almost different between all three of them. Typically in early right. stage, you have the opportunity to build it the right way from the beginning. That's the recommendation, like moving in series B, you're putting the marketing wheels in place. Like it's way better to build it the right way because if you don't, and you're on a different model, which is more heavy lead gen, low efficiency, it drives your headcount model. Then you have way too many salespeople when you hit series C and you're stuck because then you either need to lay off a bunch of salespeople you need to, or you have to keep feeding them leads that you know don't work. In the 50 to 200 million type of range, what we find is that the data is so obvious that all you have to do is just show them the data that's in their Salesforce instance and companies that want to change will and companies that don't won't. But the data is super, super clear. Company spends a million dollars a month on advertising. They're getting $200,000 in revenue. Acquisition payback period is five years. It makes no sense to do it. Some companies will still do it, believe it or not. I presented that data before in companies. Some companies will still do it. And then in the more enterprise type of space, larger companies, typically this is not a, in the smaller companies, I think this should be a go-to-market shift. I think you should change your strategy around this because it's going to help you build a better business. In enterprise companies, this is more like a pilot because the change would be enormous from a headcount, organizational design, things like that. And so we're typically at this stage piloting with enterprise companies, but those are the ways that we work through it with them. I think a lot of people, when they hear me talk, think that it's for whatever reason better for SMB companies, but this is a, it's a more effective way to communicate with your customers and drive revenue and look at how you measure marketing that allows your marketers to do marketing that helps your customers. And I think that getting caught up in so much measurement actually prevents marketers from doing that. Yeah. And I'm taking an action action item from this is like, just survey your customers and ask where did they hear you, you from and where did you come from? I think that's probably one of the most basic and most missing piece in most organizations. So that's great. I got my money's worth. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. I'll add another one for a takeaway for people. So that's level one. I think about putting it on your like high intent conversion form, like a demo. If you're a SaaS company for us, it's like book a strategy call putting on that form, which a majority of revenue comes through. The second layer that I think is very interesting, if you're looking for like level two, would be for the deals that close, 
to have somebody from either marketing or customer experience call those people and spend 15 minutes and really understand the details. Hey, it says that you heard about us through Revenue Collective and Kyle Lacey, but what happened after that? What happened before that? Could you walk me through those types of steps? We're really interested and you're going to start qualitatively, right? You're not going to put this in a spreadsheet and show it in some chart to the CEO, but you can record the call with Chorus or Gong or however you want to do it. You can get that data. You can pull out excerpts. You can hear what people are actually doing. And what you're going to find is that the channels that your attribution software is telling you drive revenue are just the places that people pass through when they're trying to convert. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Sangram. <laughs> Let's see. Ryan had a had an add-on to that earlier question. Ryan, go for it. Chris, go ahead. Uh, by the way, I love your podcast. I, I heard about you about a week ago, and I'm, I'm addicted. So, so keep preaching. I feel like I'm constantly telling my owners like everything you're saying. I'm, I'm trying to get them to ditch the SEM mm-hmm. plan. They how'd have. you hear? How'd you hear about me? I'm just curious. Well, thanks to Terry, we I got set up on a one-on-one call to with Dave, and he said you've got to listen to this guy. You guys are totally hit it off. It's great. I have a 40 minute commute, and I get a chance to get caught up on your. Uh, on your podcast. So mm-hmm. anyway, sounded um, like, sounded like word of mouth community. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, totally. pl- I'm playing. Exactly. I just like, <laughs> yeah, you know, and for what it's worth, like we're a small company and I have all of our customer service reps and, and salespeople. When we get a new lead that comes through, the first thing they ask is how did you hear about us? And most of our business, 50% of our business is all word of mouth. It's all referral. I built most of my business on word of mouth. So, um, you've got to ask that it's like, it's old school. Mm-hmm. We don't have the budget to spend money on data to get new customers. So most of what I do is trying to produce tons of content, collaborating with other people that can help make content for us that we share, that they can use and we can use. Mm -hmm. And then we just get it out publicly and do a little bit of promoted and paid ads through social and it works. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you have a question, but I'm going to keep going on this one. What I'm trying to tell people is if somebody came up to me and said, you can only choose one thing. You can either use attribution software or you can have this, how did you hear about us? I would choose, how did you hear about us all day? And so it's not that the software doesn't have a place, but for you, if you don't have budget and things like that, I believe that the insights that you're getting by having your sales team ask or put it on your form are actually better than what the software is telling you. Yeah. 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 So do you have a question? Would love to go deeper on how I can, how can I help you? No, no, go ahead. I was, it was basically just a smaller company. Uh, I was working with the, $40 million company before. And now this, the company I'm with is only about a 15, $16 million company. I have to outsource our, um, our paid or social paid promotion. So I was wondering with, uh, your company, how small the company do you work, not just for me, but just overall, cause we're not a $50 billion a year company, but what's your lowest threshold for companies that you work with? I would say probably somewhere it, Usually 10 million is like kind of the, but it's really a surrogate for other things. Do you have good marketing and rev ops and data? Do you have a website? Do you have a sales team that can convert people predictably? Do you know who you're targeting and can you sell to them specifically? Do you have basic marketing infrastructure? Like those are the ingredients that we need to be successful. And so 10 million is a proxy, but I told you the things that actually, the ones that actually matter are like that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, if you can do that and you're like, hey, I'm looking to put my foot on the gas, like that's when customers call us. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, guys. And Kira, Kira's up next. Yeah. Hi, guys. Uh, question. Asking your customers, of course, that's given no one does that. But what if you are a small or new gig 
and you don't have tons of customers to ask just yet? Mm -hmm. How do you work based off assumptions? Mm -hmm. And I'm asking because I have a friend, she is a statistician, so she referenced the um, power of weak ties research. So people that are active, let's say in Peak and Drift Genius, they can be great connectors. So how do you work based off internet data without seeing the background, the deep data, mm -hmm. trying to clean that noise off. And yeah, Spark Toro wasn't good. <laughs> it's a great question. So for me, when I say customers, I mean market, right? So it doesn't mean that they're a paying user. It means that they are in your target. And so if you don't have a lot of paying customers, and what I've always done is I want to go and talk to people that could be or should be and do it in a way where I'm just learning about it. So I lean qualitative first. I'll do business quantitative, right? Like segment our customers based on business data, revenue, retention, et cetera. I'll start to segment that off and then I'll go and talk to the market, both customers and non-customers to understand what are their perceptions? How do they view our category? Why do they continue to use the status quo? How do they think about our competitors? Like I'm trying to understand those things. Then I'll go back, I'll start to go through a segmentation exercise, which will then drive initial demand. And then I'll go back out in the market and I'll figure out where are people discovering and researching about us. So I'll ask the same groups now that I've gone through segmentation and I'll do that more. So do I get an awesome amount of data through like LinkedIn and communities and observing there? 100%, like I'm collecting that. The general thing is that it's all qualitative. So companies struggle with qualitative insights and they're by far the best insights. I see things three, six, 12 months earlier than other people do because they're waiting for some report to tell them to do it. And it's clear based on what customers are telling us that you should do it now. Probably even more than that. I said three, six, 12 months, but there's probably some things that I'm doing that companies won't even consider for five years because of lack of quantitative data. Mm -hmm. Oh, awesome. That's what I expected. Cool. <laughs> All right. Okay, great. Thanks, Kira. And we've got another one from Paul. Paul's back in, or I can ask it. Paul's back in. I just you can read the question. It's um, I'll have to come online. It's just um, how do you collect that data on LinkedIn uh, to be interesting to know? I know obviously in your podcast you've got a lot of there's a lot of information that you can get. I mean it's gold really, but just thinking without buying a tool, um, how do you get all those gold nuggets that um, that that sits on LinkedIn? So specifically for leads or data, like insights or leads. Insights, insights with regards to a curious question that you were asking. You said you get all the information from uh, LinkedIn mm -hmm. and et cetera, et cetera. Basically asking that question, where did you hear from us? Mm -hmm. Getting getting that data from, from a customer when you can't, you know, from LinkedIn specifically, just as one yeah. channel. So if you look at LinkedIn isolated without all of the bigger picture, right? So you have just isolated LinkedIn in this instance. I'm basically listening to what people are saying understanding how people are responding to the things that I'm saying, looking at what people don't understand, looking what people agree with, who are those people? Why are they agreeing with me? Why are they disagreeing with me? Those are the insights. Also what they're doing on other people's posts. So it's not just me, but I'm looking at what people are commenting on Sangram's posts. I'm looking at what people are commenting on Dave Gerhardt's posts. I'm looking at what people are commenting on some of the CMOs of the companies that we work with posts. And so, and by doing that and looking at who's commenting, what are they saying? Why? you get a pretty good sense about that's going. Then you do that for two years straight 
and you collect consumer insights that most marketers never look for, right? So some marketers have spent zero time looking for that over the past two years, and I spend every day doing it. And so you just get a much deeper understanding of what's actually happening when you spend a lot of time watching what people do and listening to what they say. Okay, so so I agree like more than 100%, right? <laughs> so if anyone knows, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. <laughs> uh, there's, <laughs> there's a reason why, Sangram. Anyway, <laughs> so basically what you're saying is, is, is right, but who, I mean, even I can't even ma- um, manage it. I mean, and I've got a very busy head and mm-hmm. I, I know you have as well, just but kind of know who you are. Mm-hmm. So I can see all the patterns happening. I can see what people are saying, what they're doing. And to, if I could harness that data, it would be gold. So mm-hmm. I agree with you 100%, but I still can't believe that you can make a, an opinion or collect all that data. How, how are you doing that? I mean, there must be something yeah. that you're doing, putting it, it into Excel spreadsheet, copying and pasting. No. You can't just appear. You know, it's no ways. You're looking to try and fit something into an existing way of measuring stuff as opposed to looking at it new. And everyone wants to. Everyone wants to fit what I'm talking about into the measurement box that they live in right now. And it's the wrong way of looking at it. It's about creating a new measurement box, not trying to fit what we're doing into the one that you have right now. And that's why I started the entire talk about, we need to rethink how we measure and optimize marketing. If we don't, then none of the things that I'm talking about will ever get implemented in your companies. If they do, they'll get deemed failures within three to six months. Like I always see. And the reason being is because the measurement model is skewed and flawed to measure certain things better than others. And those certain things are lower funnel channels where you run lead gen. And so I'm not here taking the comments that I see on all of these posts and the ones that I get in mind, dropping it into a spreadsheet, trying to do that, making some V lookups and coming out with some data to tell me what to do. I am collecting insights across a ton of different channels, putting that into my brain and then making qualitative assessments using intuition and what data companies and people are telling me. Mm. And then if I need to, I will go and see if there is a way of quantitative data that can support it, right? So the things that I've been saying about what I presented on the Attribution Mirage 30 minutes ago, I've known that stuff's true for five years. I've seen it happening in every company from the e-commerce company that I started to the 30 million ARR company that I built demand for to the next one. This is clear that it was happening to me because it was qualitative, customers told me, and I could see that what they told me versus what attribution software was measuring wasn't true. And now what I've done is figured out more and more ways to produce quantitative ways to show the exact same thing that I already know so that other people can understand it in a way. And so I'll continue to try and find new ways to measure and package data in ways that people are accustomed to, to see the effects that are happening. But to be direct, I think that looking to try and make quantitative data out of a social platform, I actually think is suboptimal. Great. Thanks so much there, Chris. Appreciate it. And we've got one coming in from Saranya. So Saranya, go for it. Hey, Chris. Just great to have you here. Um, Good to see so- you. I think it would be just adding on from from a smaller company question. So dog social is absolutely important. And I've been looking up and hearing your podcast and then LinkedIn messages. Definitely understand that. But my question here is that historically managements or companies are used to looking at how it's attributed and then they just want to see what works best according to what the attribution software tells you. Mm-hmm. So when you work with companies, when companies seek you out, whether it's a startup, let, let's just for this example, say like one of the smallest companies that you work with, 
what are the objections? Like, I'm pretty sure when you're having this conversation and introducing these new metrics, just like Paul was wondering, how has that happened? How am I able to see the ROI of every dollar that is spent? And what are the objections that typically come up that when you work with these companies and how do you handle those? I'm asking this because if I were to just go to my senior management and say, hey, you know, dark social is still, is mm-hmm. it's a cost. And, and if those objections come up, I just want to be able to better deal with it and then hear from your experience what that looks like. Yeah. So the first thing that I would do immediately that requires no shift in marketing strategy is add that field to your form because that's going to give you ammo already. People, and then you just show that what the data is, is, what the software is telling you and what our customers are telling us that who actually pay us money is different. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we can continue to rely on this software and we can listen to it. But what we're seeing is that the software is flawed and it's measuring it wrong and it's going to drive the wrong decisions. So that's mm-hmm. one thing when people push back a couple of just notes here, like we don't take on any customer that doesn't believe fully in our strategy. It's not worth it for us. They're going to churn in two months. They're going to be a huge headache. I don't want it with my team. And so with companies that are fully aligned, we're going to measure things differently. We're going to do things differently. These are the things that we believe in. So, and then occasionally there's a leadership change or somebody happens and someone comes in that's new that wants to do something differently. And what we'll do then is we'll show them the business data. And so we'll go and run a Salesforce analysis. The six months before you hired us, you were running lead gen. This is how much it costs you to get a qualified opportunity. This is what your CAC was because your strategy was wrong. And -hmm. now we've changed the strategy. Cost per qualified opportunity is down by 40%. CAC is down by 32%. Pipeline is growing because we're marketing in the places where people actually pay attention and we're Mm -hmm. doing things that align with how buyers buy. Mm -hmm. And so that's the story. Does that story work every time? No, there's some people that come from Gartner or some other big company that want to run their lead gen model forever. And that's not a place where we're going to be a good fit for. So (laughs) this is to me, and just more of a personal recommendation for you as I interact with a ton of people is that changing someone's mind is very difficult. And so as a marketer, it's way easier to work for someone that already believes the same things that you do. And so the way that you could tease that out, and this is for everyone, not just for you now, because I know that you have a job, but when you're interviewing, I would pitch my strategy on the way in and I would not get most of the jobs because mm-hmm. the executives at the company didn't align with my strategy. That's actually what I want to have happen. That's what you want to have happen because once you get in there, you know what I mean? You're going to be in that type of situation. So the to get back to tactical actions, the dark social, how did you hear about us field, collect that on its own. You're going to have data, compare that against attribution. Um, you could do research and surveys But generally, I think what you need is you need to get to the aha moment where people at the company that make these decisions actually understand what's happening. The best way that I found to do that is to bring them in front of customers live and ask them these the questions that I'm telling you to ask. Where do you research things? When do you want to talk to a sales rep? I know that you bought our product. What was that journey like? Then they tell you all the things that they did. You document that and then you go over and say attribution software only says that they found us in search and they converted. Mm-hmm. But we just he just told us for 15 minutes how this CISO yep. actually researched our product in our company. Those are some of the things that have been have worked for me, but there's no silver bullet. Some people are just going to, yeah. yeah. Not get it. So I think that I love that idea of just that, um, making sure that we use the, how did you hear about us? And then also I love the idea of talking to customers who just signed the deal to have a 15 minute conversation with them to mm-hmm. truly understand 
how did you hear about us and what's going on and what parts of the journey that you absolutely loved and why would you recommend us? Yeah, companies are out there giving out a $200 gift card to have a prospect sit on a demo that almost never closes with terrible CAC. I would much Mm -hmm. rather take that $200 gift card and give it to a customer that just closed and talk to them for 15 minutes about why they bought. Yeah, that makes that makes <laughs> absolute sense. I love that. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> Great, Saranya. Thank you. And we have one coming in from Susan. Susan, go ahead. Thank you, Terry. Hi, Chris. I'm going to echo some of the uh, fan sentiment around you. I'm a chronic introvert, and I hate asking questions, but it's you. So here goes. Thanks, Susan. Great to have you <laughs> um, here. I guess I wanted to explore a little bit that motivation of change. So we work with a lot of financial services companies and um, they tend to not fix anything unless it's actively broken, right? So the Mm -hmm. proactive, reactive thing, there's almost no real proactive. That said, they have long tenure people who've stayed for a really long time. They want to do the best by the company. And they often look to us for the coaching aspect of it. It's like, what do I tell my bosses? Like, how do I convince them that we're five years too late, but it's still not too late. So mm-hmm. I'd love to hear from you on those motivations and how you nurture those. I was smiling the whole time that you asked the question because this one is like really true to me. When I started my company, I was pretty sure that our target customer was a medical device company that sold a recurring revenue model disposable. And because that that's where I had built the model initially and I knew that it worked there. And within three months learned that the executives in those companies were never going to change their mind. They only think about things when they're broken. Like so many things would have to go wrong in their business to even consider this. We're in COVID, right? So like 18 months have mm-hmm. gone by and there's still these companies that are not adjusting to like basic digital transformation and thinking about marketing in a different way. My recommendation here, just hard truth, you need to change your target customer like, or change your product. But that I don't think like we have some FinServe mm-hmm. companies that come in here. It's a losing game if you're trying to do services like what I'm doing. If you're trying to sell something else and using this method in order to attract them, that's a different story. Can I tell them that Chris said to fire you? Is it marketing consult? <laughs> is it marketing consulting? Is that what? Yeah, it's yeah. podcasting. Uh, we we do podcasting yeah, a s- lot, and I feel like you know people want to do it and they jump into it with both feet, and then it's like, ooh, pause. Let's do a batch, and then let's pause. Mm-hmm. So it's really not that different than you know lead generation. It's lead generation in podcast form mm-hmm. is is what I would call it. But I feel yeah. like there's a longevity and a flywheel that they haven't yet gotten the hang of. Yeah, if that's what you're doing, I would just change the target to a industry and a company that's more forward thinking that actually want like that's coming to you to do those things versus you convincing them about why that's why like focusing on software i had some experience in it but the business model is exactly the same as what i was doing before big capital purchase considered multi-stakeholder sale account based higher acv enterprise sales motion recurring revenue model where most of the revenue gets made as ltv increases the business model was the same. And so when I went through it, it was the path of least resistance. I can continue to bang my head a wall mm. in the wall and try and convince one CMO at a medical device company to do this when it's so obvious. Or I can start focusing over here where all these people are already investing in this. They just need to change the strategy. My hard recommendation would be to change the target customer or change the product. I love that. Thank you. Happy to help. Great. Thanks, Susan. And going back a little bit, we have another one coming in from Scott. 
Hey, Chris. Cool, Scott. You've got probably the last question. Looking forward to this one. Oh, yeah, fire away real quick. (laughs) I just overall, and I've heard you answer this, but I'm going to hear update on it is, but overall in a company, especially startup companies in, in the first several years, what percentage should marketing be responsible for prospecting and demand generation versus sales because a lot of companies it seems like marketing is an arts and crafts department and doesn't really create any demand and then they just beat the salespeople to death to get as much business as they can so what's your kind of thoughts overall the way way it should be done like out of the gate there's no benchmark to this it's purely driven based on go-to-market strategy and so the way that we do it is different than what software companies would do too I think that building a community and an audience around the movement that you're having should be step one in a company, not trying to like cold call people and prospect. I would build marketing first. Not to say you can't just build marketing and not sell anything, right? So there's like some nuances here, but it's difficult to answer that question because I feel like the way that I see the world and the way that we do marketing and the way the ability that we have to execute versus what a company would do is different. I think that they wouldn't be able to execute as well. They wouldn't get the same results that they do. And so the advice that I would give them is probably a little bit different. Yeah. So maybe if you ask the question a different way, I'd be able to help you a little bit more. But most companies will build sales, like the common SaaS playbook, build sales first, SDRs, AEs, predictable revenue, try and brute force to three, five, seven, ten million dollars in ARR and then think about marketing after that. That's not my preferred model because I think that it creates a lot of bad behavior. And it creates a lot of infrastructure that is difficult to rip out later. And churn in your customers. Yeah. That's what I see companies commonly do. I just, if it was me, I would do it differently. Perfect. Thank you, Chris. Cool. Terry, you want to close this out? Yeah, You want me to do it? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. (laughs) Thank you so much, Chris, for an awesome session today. We really enjoyed having you here. And Thanks to everybody for joining us. We're going to have the recorded version of this session in the community. If you'd like to continue the conversation at that time as well, reach out to Chris. And we want everybody to walk away feeling 1% better every week so you can get promoted, have a great impact, and do the best work of your life. With Peak Sessions, thank you so much. And everyone have a great day. Hey everyone, thanks for checking out this episode of the State of Demand Gen podcast. You know, it's crazy to think that now more than 15,000 demand marketers, sales reps, product marketers, field marketers, CMOs, and everything in between are listening to this podcast and getting a ton of value out of it. And so if you've been listening to the podcast and you've been getting value out of it, I would really, really, really appreciate if you could leave a rating in the podcast section. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you and see you for the next episode.